Whether you're here or at home, uh, take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, we are just a couple messages away from finishing up our series in the book of Colossians. We've titled Jesus, First Place in Everything. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 18 just to get the context of where we are at. We will focus on uh, verses 22 through the first chapter uh, or the first verse of chapter 4. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 18, where Paul says this Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. In chapter 4, verse 1, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And that's what we will turn our attention to this morning, chapter 3, verse 22 through chapter 4, verse 1. Is Jesus Lord of your work week? That's the question this passage is asking. Is Jesus Lord of your work week? Uh, Maybe you've heard the phrase, either Jesus is Lord of all, or he is not Lord at all. He must be more than just Lord of our Sundays. Jesus Christ must be Lord of our work days. Uh, just just yesterday, I was at a at a grocery store, and I asked the the cashier um, uh, how the how the workday was going, and the response I got was, "Oh, not that great." I said, "Oh no, what's what's going on?" And the cashier looked at me and and uh, and and said, "This it's Saturday night, and I'd rather be somewhere else." Like, hello, it's Saturday. And and I, I I asked another question. I said, "Well, is this is this?" And I could, by the way, I could. Can you can you can you identify with that? There was a time when my in my life of working, I could identify with working on a Saturday night or a Friday night and wanting to be somewhere else. I asked the cashier. I said, "Is this the only job you've ever worked?" And the reply was, "No, but it's it's certainly my favorite." And maybe you can or can't identify with that. But even now, I can identify with that. Uh. Maybe just the time to say thank you for hiring me. Thank you for hiring me to be your pastor. Uh, this is this is this is I love I love this job and whatever whatever uh, whatever hard times or heartaches or discouragement or loneliness or whatever may came, come with the job. Uh, this is the job I love. So thank you for hiring me. Believe me, I need this work more than you need me. I want you to know that right now. Uh, God does something in my heart as a pastor that He has done in no other job arena that I've ever been in. Uh, there's a sanctifying work that takes place being a pastor that I have not experienced anywhere else. As a matter of fact, after a year of, you know, kind of being off of pastoral ministry, I'm, I'm being reminded just how much uh, the Lord wants to sanctify me as he constantly makes me think of, 
of, uh, you know, is that the attitude you really want to have? Are you sure you want to say, are you sure you want to say something that way? And I'm like, no. And, uh, and uh, the Lord is constantly sanctifying me. So uh, thank you. Thank you. It's, it's a joy to be your pastor. And Lord willing, we'll be able to encourage each other forever long the Lord has us together. When it comes to the workplace, work can be the place that causes the most stress. You might even be hearing you say, I hate my job. Have you ever said that? Are you saying it now? And Lord willing, we'll, we'll be encouraged in the Lord as we walk through this passage together. But first I want to give you some context on this passage. Because notice it says in verse 22, bond servants. Or your translation may say slaves. Now slavery was the social norm during the time of this letter. And even though slavery it wasn't, wasn't uh, completely like American slavery as we know in our history, it wasn't based on race. As a matter of fact, you could become a slave by being a prisoner of war. Um, if you were born a slave, then that automatically made you a slave. Uh, even the Roman Empire, as punishment for criminal activity, they may subject you to slavery. Some people, we have many examples of this in history, some people sold themselves into slavery. Uh, if they needed the work or they needed the money, if they needed the care. But nonetheless, even with all of that, slavery was still a degraded, degrading and often ill-treated position. Slaves made up about one-third of the population of Rome. And even though many of them were well-educated and many of them were given great responsibilities within a household, um, it was still, they were still seen as property. And that's, that's who Paul is writing to, these slaves. Now, early Christianity, we learned this from the book of Acts. It was a household movement. So normally we read that the head of the household gets saved, and then normally what follows is the rest of the household uh, you know, joins whatever religion he's following. And so this would have been the same for the slaves in the house. And so Paul is writing to this church, and as heads of households were saved, Paul knew that there would be genuine Christian slaves and masters in the church. And Paul never endorsed the rebellion of slaves nor the harsh treatment from owners. And so he included this part in his letter to, to let them know how, how newborn, born-again Christians who either in society serve as masters or serve as slaves, how they can live together in Christian harmony. Now, fast forward to 2021. In our day, uh, the closest parallel to this is, I'm sure will be no surprise to you, the, the relationship of, of slave to master can be compared to our normal experience of employee to employer. And that's where our focus is going to be. Jesus needs to go with you to your job. I've worked at, uh, as a summer day camp counselor at the YMCA. I've I've worked at a place that provided living support to the mentally disabled yet lived on their own. I've worked as a security guard, probably more like an insecurity guard. I've worked at Wells Fargo, home mortgage. I've worked as a realtor. I've worked as a bus driver and plenty of other things in between. And I say all that to say, as I look back, I can recall the temptations that happen in the workplace and the great opportunities Opportunities to share Christ with fellow coworkers, and as I was thinking through this message, uh, the Lord reminded me of, of people like Kai and Christine and Miguel and Tyler and Bill. Um, all people have had the privilege of, of working alongside who weren't Christians and great opportunities to, to share Christ. 
And it's even great to hear stories from many of you in this congregation, uh, of you praying for and, and sharing with, with uh, your coworkers. And, and one, one example among many in the church that came to mind was um, Doug Smith, a uh, member of the church here, works at the, at the prison, and he asked for permission, and he was given away, uh, he was shown away and allowed away to make the evangelistic Bible studies called uh, The Stranger on the Road to Emmaus available to inmates. And, and so he, he often asks us in our Wednesday night uh, guys' time to pray for those inmates. And I pray for them every week as he takes this opportunity to get the gospel into the workplace, which is among inmates. I even thought back to our most recent deacons meeting that just happened this past Tuesday night. And, and during, our, during the time where we share testimonies before we kind of get into the, the thick of things, uh, one deacon shared how he earnestly desires and is pursuing to walk in Christ's likeness among his fellow co-workers and his peers. That's great stuff. Those are the opportunities we want, Right? But I also know the temptations of being in the workplace. And Paul, when he is addressing the slaves, the slaves were given to many of the same temptations that you and I have. The temptations, however subtle or extreme, temptations to lie, to cheat, and steal. Temptations to falsify records, use company property without permission, work deliberately at a slow pace, waste time, or fail to care for those things that you've been entrusted with. Temptations to claim an injury or an illness to get out of work. Have you ever done that? Temptations to react towards workplace issues with complaining and murmuring over personality difference. Temptations to get a heart of hatred and bitterness and jealousy when you're passed over for a promotion that you believe you deserve but somebody else got. Temptations to this hatred and bitterness and jealousy when when other people are invited to the work party and you were left out. Jesus is greater than all of these, and Jesus wants to give you and I the motivation and the ability to serve and work wholeheartedly, even in mundane tasks. I've done mundane tasks. When I was working as a security guard for Conley Security in Des Moines, I walked the skywalk, uh, and I took this little, little wand like this big, and they have little buttons all over the skywalk, and you go and you scan them to let you know you, that you've been there, and you just spend eight hours just walking around the skywalk just scanning these things. I worked at Wells Fargo Home Mortgage, which was a call center, so every single day I was on the phone day after day, and I can still, I can still remember what I would say. Uh, uh, I would say... It was the collections, which was even a more glamorous job. Uh, I said, this is an attempt to collect a debt. Any information can and will be used obtained for that purpose. Any information obtained can and will be used for that purpose. I do need to let you know this call may be monitored or recorded for quality assurance and accuracy purposes. Okay? (laughs) Day after day, call after call. And I've failed to work wholeheartedly at the mundane You know, when it comes to work, there's no Bible passage on where you should work, which makes this the important thing we need to to understand from this passage. God cares far more about how you work than where you work. Work is a blessing. Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God creates man, and he says, get to work. Take all this, take this stuff I created, take all this raw material that I've given to you, and go make it fruitful. Go take care of it. Go cultivate it. 
So work from the very beginning is a blessing from God. Now we work in a sin-cursed world and we are sin-cursed people working in a sin-cursed world with other sin-cursed people. And as Christians, the question is, how then should we work? We're going to look at two things this morning. How then should we work? Number one, when under authority, with earnest obedience. Bond servants, verse 22, obey in everything. Obey when under authority with earnest obedience. What does is, what is earnest obedience look like? Well, he gives us the answer here in this passage. Number one, earnest obedience is complete obedience. Notice he uses the word in everything. So there will be times when you are asked to do a job that you don't want to do. There will be times when we think that you know, we're too gifted or we're beyond such a menial task. Now, complete obedience says, whatever my boss asks me to do, I'm going to do it. It's going to be complete obedience in everything. Unless, of course, your boss asks you to do something unethical. Then on the flip side of that, we need to not fear being fired standing up for Jesus Christ. So we should never compromise. We should never fear losing our job if we stay true to Christ. If your boss asks you to do something unethical or sinful, don't fear the consequences by saying no. Jesus' glory, not our jobs, is most important. Earnest obedience is complete obedience. Number two, it's honest obedience. Did you notice that in our passage? Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Notice here, not by way of eye, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. Not by way of eye service. That is to say, we, we are not to work hard only when the boss is watching. Working in the call center, uh, it, it was often the case you could you could tell who was on you know ESPN or Facebook or something like that because when the boss came around you know clicking you know real fast to get you know to get the computer screen back to the, the you know the actual screen you're supposed to be on for your work you know not by way of eye service right we are to we are to work effectively even if we're not being observed So even more than that, it says not to be, so not by way of eye service, so not just working hard when we're being watched, but also not as people pleasers. That is, we're not to work just to seek affirmation. Like the only reason I'm doing this is because I want my boss to notice me. Or the only reason I'm doing this is because, you know, I want to be known or I want the promotion. That's not what God calls us to do. We're not to seek only affirmation. We should measure our work by whether or not Jesus is pleased. We should measure our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, our work week, if it goes into the weekend, if it's late at night, early in the morning, middle of the day, was Jesus pleased by the work I did at work? It's complete obedience. It's honest obedience. It's sincere obedience. Notice again here uh, where he says, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, in verse 22. 
says the work hard, we're to put wholehearted effort, and this goes right off what we were just saying, wholehearted effort into the task that we've been given. So that means our mentality at work should not be, I am going to do enough just to make sure I don't get in trouble. Or I'm going to do enough just to get by. I'm not just going to do the bare minimum. Shows no reverence for the Lord. We are, notice what it says here. Uh, whatever you do, verse 23, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. We are to serve the Lord. We're to fear Jesus, serve Jesus, work heartily for Jesus at our jobs. And we serve Jesus and we honor Jesus by serving and honoring the one that Jesus has put over us at our jobs. So the motivation for our work should not be promotion, accolades, or even necessarily money. Our motivation, what should motivate our work day, Monday through Friday or whatever, whatever, whatever shifts that you're working, our motivation should be wholehearted devotion to Christ. That even in those unimportant and trivial tasks where you say, oh my goodness, this is just pointless, this is meaningless, this is so trivial, what am I doing here? Jesus says to take even those things and turn it into an act of worship of him. That's what we're to do, no matter how menial. I mean, just think about, imagine getting to heaven, and, you know, we all know that phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. Imagine getting to heaven, and Jesus is, is you know, you're, he's assessing your life, and you're giving account for everything, and, and Jesus says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. I love the way you stapled those, that stack of papers together. Well done. You did it joyfully. You did it in my name. You did it because you loved me. You didn't think it was all that great and important, but you served and loved your boss and you did it. That's kind of the idea here. That whatever it is, you work heartily for the Lord. Heartily for the Lord. Complete obedience, honest obedience, sincere obedience. Number four, it's it's hopeful obedience. Did you catch that in verse 24? Where he says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now listen again, he's writing to slaves. He's writing to slaves. That would have been unfathomable for a slave. To have an inheritance. I mean, that was a wonderful promise. Those Christian slaves had, at that very moment an eternal, glorious life ready for them in heaven. Even though on earth their life wasn't that glorious and it wasn't all that eternal either, right? As we go to our jobs, you may say, there is nothing glorious. I've got no retirement at the end of this job. I've got no recognition at the end of this job. I've got no, no, nothing built up. I've got nothing to show for it. I've got nothing I've got nothing. This is a, maybe we would call a dead-end job. And at the end of this, I just quit, walk out the door, and that's it. This is the promise we have for those moments. If you're here this morning and you say, man, maybe you're, you're at the end of your working age, so to speak. You're like, man, what do, I even have, what do I have to show for any of this? You may have, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, you may have nothing to show for your work here on this earth. 
But God has something to show you for all eternity, for his chosen ones, for those whom he loves. Their earthly effort didn't need to be distracted by the fact that they had no retirement. Their earthly effort at their job didn't need to be distracted by the fact that they didn't have anything, quote unquote, to show for it. Their earthly job did not need to be distracted by the, by the fact that they don't have any accolades or they don't have any prestige or they didn't climb the corporate ladder. That's not what God is looking for. That's not what he's looking for. That is not what he's looking for. He is looking for faithful servants. You don't have a retirement fund. You didn't get paid enough. You weren't treated fairly. And all of this can just be like, man, what, what is there to show? You have an earthly possession My effort has already been rewarded by God. I just have to get to retirement. The one where this life ends and I step into an eternal glory that God has for me. The slaves were serving the Lord Jesus. I mean, that would have been so great for a slave to hear. I'm not serving this guy. I'm not serving this earthly master. Whatever there may or may not be, I'm serving Jesus. And Jesus has way more than this guy does. Jesus has promised me far more than this job ever could. And these slaves would have been just so enthused to hear, like, yeah, wait a minute. I've got eternity in heaven. I've got life after this. I've got glory waiting for me because of Jesus Christ. And so he says, hopeful obedience. Complete obedience, honest obedience, sincere obedience, hopeful obedience. And then finally he says, fearful obedience in verse 25. He says, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. The wrongdoer will be paid back. We have to ask the question, what wrongdoer? The wrongdoer master, who's treating the slave unfairly, or the wrongdoer slave, who's not obeying that sort of earnest obedience that he's talking about. I think it's for both. It's for the slothful worker and the ill-mannered manager. Either way, it doesn't matter. Being a Christian does not excuse poor work. Being a Christian does not excuse half-hearted work. Being a Christian does not excuse theft. Being a Christian does not excuse apathy. Being a Christian does not excuse deceit. Doesn't excuse cheating or anything. The wrongs committed at work will be addressed by God. And so the Christian is not to use his or her position in Christ to justify their wrongdoing. That is to say, a Christian should act like a Christian even at work. What came to mind in my own life was. 15 years ago, when I first entered into the the workforce, I was working at, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I was working at the YMCA day camp over the summer. I was a a day camp counselor there. And um, I remember there's a weekend coming up where there's a popular movie coming out. And so so I I was supposed to ask for that Friday off, I think it was. I was working the evening shift, kind of the, the latter part of the day at the day camp. And I was supposed to ask for the day off so that, that all of his friends could go to this movie. Well, the day finally came too, and I realized that I had forgotten to ask the day off. So what did I do? I called into work, and I said I wasn't feeling well that day. And I went to the movies, didn't 
enjoy it at all. The next morning, I show up to work, and my boss comes up to me, and she says, so how are the movies? She was there. (laughs) Didn't enjoy the movie. I don't even remember what movie it was. You know the one thing I remember about that instance? My sin. And feeling the weight of it. And having to confess it there now that I've been caught. Didn't get fired. Didn't even really get reprimanded. Don't do it again sort of thing. And I've never done it again. But man, out of all that, what am, I'm standing here before you telling you a story of my sin. Don't remember the movie. I know I didn't enjoy it. And I just remember that moment. Fear God. Fear God. Fear what sin will do with you and fear how long your sin will live in your heart. Do I believe it's forgiven? Yes. Do I believe that I will suffer any sort of judgment or condemnation because of that sin? No, I won't. But it's there. A constant reminder that that little moment of fleeting joy that I only remember is gone, but the sin and the memory of it still remains. Fearful obedience. I want to take just a moment before we move on to number two, and we'll spend less time on that one, but just to, just to give you quickly a theology of work. We're not going to walk through this. You're going to see it on the screen. A theology of work. What is work? What is God calling us to do? First, we need to know God called man to work prior to the curse. And we are called to work in a way that glorifies God, like 1 Corinthians 10.31, and even earlier in chapter 3, in verse 17 of Colossians. We are to work to provide for our families. 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. If you don't provide for your family, you're worse than a heathen. You're worse than an unbeliever. Which means, uh, even that second one's included there, we're to work to provide for our daily needs. Which means you may not have the dream job, you may not have the job that you want, you know, ultimately in life, but your job is to provide for your family, your job is to pay rent, your job is to pay your bills, your job is to provide food for you and whoever else you're taking care of. First Thessalonians talks about we're, we're to work so we're not dependent on others. So that our, our whole livelihood, that our whole life is not dependent on somebody else taking care of us, but that we're working with our own hands and we're, 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 we're providing for ourselves. Does this mean you'll never be in a situation where you might need to ask for help? No, that's not what it means. You might be in a position where you say, I'm broke, I've been working, hours cut, I need help. That's perfectly fine. Because hard times come. And hard financial stresses come, even if we are working or even if we are trying. But the principle here is we are to work so we aren't dependent on others. We're to work, as a matter of fact, in Ephesians 4, where Paul says, let the thief no longer uh, steal, but let him work with his own hands. And then he says, so that, like here's the reason I want you to work, you can give to others. You can share with those who have need. And there's tons of Proverbs and other places in Bible that guard us against the sin of laziness. Many of those passages uh, in chapters 12 and 14 talk about the farmer who 
he doesn't do anything in the springtime, and then he goes out for harvest, and he's, and he's looking around, and he's like, where's all my grain? And there's just some of the most hilarious pictures in all of scripture are found in the book of Proverbs. Um, like, like the guy, you remember the Proverbs says he buries his hand in the bowl, and he's too lazy to feed himself? I mean, it's just these, these guys who, who, who are, the one that says, there's a lion in the street. You know, I can't go to work. There's a lion in the street. I'll be killed. I was like, well, go shoot the lion. Or quit making stuff up. Quit lying. Get to work. Get to work. And work hard. We should train our children to work hard. We are to guard against laziness. As we wrap this section up, Perhaps there's a need for confession. Listen to these statistics about the American workplace from a recent survey. They found that 89% of employees waste at least some time at work every day. 31% about 30 minutes, and the top 10% waste three hours or more each day at work. The average office employee is spending about five hours a week on his or her cell phone, on things that have nothing to do with the job. That adds up to about $15.5 billion lost in productivity every week. How much are you chipping in? We must guard against laziness, about against wasting time. And beyond wasting time, if, if you have wronged your employer through stealing, through lying, if you've wronged your, your employer, you must confess. You must repent. And you must walk and live in new life at work. Because God has called us to redeem this time. God, God has you at your job five days a week, eight hours a day. Of course, there are many exceptions to this. I understand that. But that means you'll be at work far more than you'll be at church. Okay, so it's easy to give in the temptation to make Jesus, Jesus Lord of my Sunday, you know, or even Jesus Lord of my Sunday on Mother's Day, or Jesus, you know, Lord of certain days, but not Lord of the work day. So this also means, generally speaking, you're going to rub shoulders with non-believers more than you will believers. So act like a Christian. Pray for open doors with those you work with. As there's a, at the, at the, on the bulletin for the reflection questions, if you ever look at those, I put those in there just as things to reflect on, on, the, on the passage. One thing I encourage you to do is to write down three names of people you work with that you want to see saved. Pastor Kyle came in this morning. He says, I've already got two names on my list of people I work with that need to be saved. <laughs> But who needs to be saved? And you can give me that list. I've got a day set aside every week on Thursday, right before lunch, to fast and pray for people to be saved. And I'd love to pray through those names. I don't care how big the list gets. I'll pray for them by name. How should we act at work? When under authority, with earnest obedience, complete, honest, sincere, hopeful, and fearful. Number two, when in authority with humble self-evaluation. With humble self-evaluation. Like I said, we won't spend as much time on this. But if you're in authority, or you're a manager, you're a boss over a lot or a little, 
your position requires fairness. And that's what he says, treat your bondservants justly and fairly. Now, this would have been somewhat of a shocker. We talked about the shocker for the slaves. This would have been shocker for the masters. I mean, the masters owned these slaves as property. And it would have been odd that there was an obligation being placed on them in respect to their bondservants, to their slaves. That they were being asked to act like Jesus as a person in authority. And that meant that to be just and fair means they don't play favorites. They don't ignore the hard work of someone else just simply because they don't like them. And this goes back to a couple Old Testament laws, and we're only going to look at one here. It's going to be on the screen. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 13, where God says, You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. Notice here, the wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. And the principle here, pay what you owe. Pay what you owe for those who do the work for you. And I think this applies, I mean, if you hire somebody to come over to your house and do some carpentry work or plumbing work or whatever it might be, you pay in a decent manner. You pay for the work you've hired out. You pay your employees. You pay what you owe. James in the New Testament picks up on this. He's, he's addressing the rich people in James chapter 5 where he says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Now prompt payment. To go without payment for these people who are, who are serving, whether in Leviticus or James, or here in Colossians, you know, to forego payment would have put them in a very hard situation, right? The, the average laborer we know kind of works the kind of the paycheck to paycheck. There's not a big nest egg. There's not a whole lot on reserve. So to keep back payment was to put them in hardship. And what he's saying here is no unfair manager should act, or no manager should act unfairly in this way. Pay what you owe. Pay what you owe. No unfair manager goes unseen by God. And it requires humility, He says, the final phrase here, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. At his conversion, here's another shocker for him, at his conversion, the master became a slave of Jesus Christ. Hey, masters, don't forget, you're a slave too. Masters and slaves were spiritually equal in Christ. We had to get a great example of this. Um, in the book of Philemon. Remember the one-chapter book of Philemon? Small book that Paul wrote. Now, the story of that, this slave named Onesimus runs away from Philemon. That was one of the ways you could get free as a slave if you ran away. And so Onesimus ran away, and he goes to Rome. And who does he meet at Rome? Paul. And Paul leads him to Christ. And Paul finds out that Onesimus is, 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 has run away from Philemon. And so Onesimus tells him to return to his master. And here's the letter that Paul wrote to, or part of the letter that Paul wrote to Philemon in Philemon Philemon chapter 1. He says, for this is perhaps why he was departed uh, from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Notice this phrase, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant. As a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you? both in the flesh and in the Lord. Whoa. A slave? You're calling him my beloved brother? 
Do you know what church Philemon and Onesimus attended? The Colossian church. Look down at chapter 4, verse 9. Where Paul, as we're going to get to this here in a couple of weeks, it says, With him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you everything that has taken place here. So Paul actually sends the Colossian letter with this runaway slave, along with the Philemon letter that uh, was given to Philemon. So Paul is writing to something very, very specific, something that has immediate application. He's telling the Christian worker and the Christian manager that our first thought should not be our own earthly rights, but we should fulfill what God has called us to do. He's called us to live like Jesus. And perhaps you're in here and you're not able to live like Jesus because you don't truly know him. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. He died for your sins and he rose again. And if you, if you, you believe in him, if you trust him by believing that he died and rose again for you, he promises to forgive you, to give you eternal life, to give you that inheritance we were talking about earlier. earlier. And then he promises to be in you and to help you become more and more like Jesus each and every day for the rest of your life. If that's not you, trust him. If you are a Christian, we have a great opportunity to be faithful worshipers and witnesses for Jesus Christ at our jobs. So work heartily as for the Lord and make sure people see Jesus at your job. Let's pray. Father, for that be the case, may all that we do bring glory to you. May we work heartily as for the Lord, not as people pleasers, not by way of eye service. May we be just and fair, knowing that we also have a master in heaven. So Lord, master our lives, master our work week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.